0: Welcome back Rev Divers. We are super excited to talk to someone special today. Um, Before we dive into this, I got to tell you, we recorded this intro a couple of times. We're having serious (laughs) technological challenges today, and it was an act of sheer perseverance to get to you. I had a whole joke um, about taking life one bite at a time, and that's why I wore my Pac-Man t-shirt, and it's like it was a jinx or something, so uh, I'm not even going to do that whole spiel again. Instead, I'm going to introduce you to our guest. Today, we are chatting with Dr. Baktari. We are so excited to have you on the show today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a very, it's a big honor. I'm very excited.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. You know, you have such a uh, a varied uh, wealth of experience and background, Dr. Tari. We'd love to give, you know, get an opportunity to kind of hear about who you are and and what you've been able to accomplish in, in your career and share that with our our audience.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, um, the cliff version is, you know, I was a pretty straight arrow, went to college, medical school, residency, fellowship, kind of the straight, straight arrow. Uh, And then I got and started practicing clinical medicine, became a senior partner in my group. Uh, You know, I specialize in pulmonary, critical care, internal medicine, and then uh, became a senior partner and eventually sort of one door opened another and I started doing administrative medicine as a just a little side thing, just to keep the days interesting, uh, and then the, one door open to another, and next thing you know, uh, you know, I wound up being uh, dragged into the health insurance world and working for insurance companies, health insurance companies, and being medical director for for Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, uh, and the Culinary Fund, and the, uh, then uh, you know, simultaneously before that, I was. Uh, assistant professor in three medical schools across you know along my career. So I did a lot of teaching. So I got to see the teaching world and then the insurance world. And also then I also had an opportunity of uh it was which was a lot of fun to um you know be working for hospitals, being medical directors for hospital chains and what have you. And so um and then last part of my uh last part of what we've been doing is I Kind of rolled all that into, and we've eventually opened up, you know, two somewhat related healthcare companies. So I've been the CEO of those since two thousand and nine, and growing those. So kind of evolved from clinical, you know, professor and clinical medicine to hospital insurance, and then entrepreneurship and startups and stuff like that. So it's been an evolution.
0: Wow. That has been, that's, that is, I love that you said you started off kind of as a straight arrow and then you went in so many different directions. And I think that's true of a lot of us in healthcare. Like, I don't think any of us started um, and then stayed specifically in that one area. It's actually one of the things I love about working in healthcare is just the different projects that we get to work on all of the time and keeping it interesting, like you said. And so I guess my first question for you, because you brought that up, Right now, today, what is the most interesting thing going on in our industry from your perspective? And I know that's really sort of an off-the-wall question, but there's there's a lot of intriguing things happening. What is the thing that you're really kind of keyed into right now in the industry?
1: You know, what I'm seeing broadly, which no one really talks about, is really healthcare consolidation. That's really what's happening. Yeah. I I don't I don't know, people don't want to talk about it, but it's true. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, you know, we had you know 10 cellular phone companies now we got three uh 10 15 years ago you know we had 10 15 airlines now we got three uh and that's what's happening you know it's the same script for you know the cellular phone industry same script because it's the same people by the way you know uh wall street and equity money it's the same people doing the same thing so we know how this is going to end because have you tried calling like Verizon recently and seeing how many hours it takes for them to pick up the phone? So we know what direct, or tried to, you know, I mean, 10 years ago to pay for your bags to get on a plane, like nobody would have even dreamt of it. But yeah. not, not, but that's what happens when you get consolidation, you know, uh, quality and, and, and other things go by the wayside. It's, you
0: know, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kim. No,
2: I, I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the reasons why that consolidation continues to to happen in the industry. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, a, as we were kind of getting to know each other and and talking about um, the 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 revenue cycle model and all of the the varying complexities that go into having a successful revenue cycle, uh, there there's definitely an opportunity for burnout on that end. But then also on the clinical end, right? I mean, as a physician, I'm sure you know, you've had colleagues who, you know, or even yourself, you know, have, have kind of expressed, uh, you know, concerns about burnout and thinking about like what the the industry looked like, uh, you know, maybe 40 years ago compared to what it looks like today. You know, what are your thoughts about, you know, that evolution?
1: Well, you know, I think because you're in the business of you know revenue cycle and reimbursement, so let's start with that. I mean, just just the big elephant in the room, uh, which is, you know, I think when you go and look at this from a satellite perspective, right? You know, what doctors and hospitals and people were getting reimbursed for services in 1970 versus 1980 versus 1990 versus 2000s and 2010s and Now, I mean, if you plotted all that, what somebody gets reimbursed for an office visit, for a colonoscopy, for an appendectomy, I mean, that graph is only going in one direction, okay? It's like if you plot it over time, it's going down, even when adjusted for inflation. So 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 you're, by definition going to make less money for that same thing four years from now than you were to by definition i mean could you luck out and maybe that one procedure doesn't get hit yet but it's just a matter of time so you're you're going to make less money okay and here's the thing your costs are going up so think about this analogy let's say in 1970 i tried to sell you a restaurant and i say i want to sell you this restaurant and here's what you can charge for your entrees, blah blah blah. But here's the rule: every year, I'm going to force you to lower your prices, or what you get for, you know, spaghetti and meatball dish. Okay, every year, I'm going to force you to take less, and your costs are going to go up. Your rent's going to go up. What you pay the staff is going to go up. Your insurance is going to go up. Would you buy that restaurant if that was the deal? Exactly exactly would, no, would, well would and not stop.
0: only that but we're going to judge you on the quality of those meatballs uh,
1: uh, and make you oh and and just the work we're going to get extra work <laughs> we're going to get I didn't even get there you 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 beat me to that so if you really And think this about, the customer
2: like, satisfaction
1: <laughs> yes
2: how quickly gonna, did you we're, get we're that gonna, meatball we're, out
1: we're going to we're going to put all this metrics on you and uh by the way this whole uh, you know electronic medical records which is going to like actually increase your work tenfold uh, but oh, we're yes. going to make you, we're going to do make you do that too. So yes, we get it all, but you know, that's really what you're signing up for. You're signing who, who, who gets into a business that by definition, their reimbursements for any particular work will go down year over year exactly. and they're So anyway, so I think looking at it from the, the, so, you know, people listening to this are like, well, so how did, how did medicine survive this? Well, they survive by doing some shtick. So back in 1980, you know, your typical primary care doctor, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I wasn't obviously in clinical medicine then as a kid, but back in 1980s, I mean, you know, a doctor would, you know, see 15 patients maybe a day. So, so as the years roll by, and and his office manager knocks on his door. looks like, you know our reimbursements are gonna go down 10, 20% next year. So he's like, okay, instead of seeing 15, I'll see 17 patients today. You know what, I'll stay an extra hour, but I'll, however I do it. So they, so we spent the last 20, 30 years, doctors and healthcare just trying to get more volume for the same amount of time. Okay, so now you can your primary care doctors seeing 30, 40 patients a day or hospitals seeing 30, 40 patients a day. You know, I mean, that's really, or, and then let's so start stick number one, stick number two, let's start doing ultrasounds in the office. Let's start doing nerve conduction studies in the office. Let's start sending selling vitamins in the office, and let's start doing Botox in the office. You know, these are all, stri- this is all a response to what's going on. So when you come, and then lastly, now what I, the last, okay, so we maximize, look, okay. At a certain point, you can only see so many patients, even if you're crazy. <laughs> and, but then, then you do the shtick where you start doing laboratory testing in your office and you know mm-hmm. this kind of shtick. But that's just meant to okay, you're going to cut my reimbursements. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna get a revenue source somewhere else to make up for. It. And then last, by the way, I'm not agreeing with that or condoning. It. I'm just saying what. The evolution of, and then the last thing has been basically saying, okay, I'm not actually going to see you. I'm going to hire a PA, a nurse practitioner to see you. So there you go. So, I mean, if you plotted the percent of people who went to see their primary care doctor and actually got to see them in the 80s, 90s, da, 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 and now in the last five years, the likelihood that you're going to get to see your primary care doctor is dropping. I mean, nobody can deny that. They can say, well, not my doctor or not that doctor. But globally, it's dropping. You go to an urgent care five years ago, you go into an urgent care now, it's a different landscape. So these are all strategies where in response to this, and I'm not saying who's right or wrong. I'm just saying when you cut somebody's reimbursements and their costs are going up, they have to respond somehow. It's probably I more than you I wanted agree to agree
0: with you and you know you talked about kind of this this cycle of behavior right and we're seeing like a lot of consolidation of things and we were talking about this it was maybe just a couple of weeks ago Kim and i we were talking about this that you know if you looked back to the the 50s the 60s you know or even further um people were getting their milk delivered to their front door. And we're doing Mm. that now shipped in Instacart and any grocery delivery service. And people were having their physician come to their home to see them. And we're doing that now in person and via telehealth. And it's like, at some point, across all of these different things we immediately like walked away from one method and went to a completely different other method like a pendulum swing when the genuine balance was kind of somewhere in the middle and i think that's what we're lacking right now in in healthcare is that balance you know that that balance is so sorely needed and when you you see these you know declining um to your point declining revenue right And declining time with the patient and declining outcomes. And so there's all of these things being put into place and and this huge shift away from fee for service to get back to saying like, hey, no, we should value quality over Mm -hmm. quantity. Um, And I think we're all agreed we should be valuing quality over quantity. But how do we get back to a point where where we're being incentivized to do that? So there's all these really complicated methods and value based arrangements, and we had a working situation actually uh, previously that if we just kind of like went back a little, not we don't have to pendulum swing all the way back, but like let's come a little bit back toward toward where we were, where we weren't being so heavily managed. Yeah. That it well, was, you know, was yeah. If
1: I, if I can interject, I think what you're saying is we should have tweaked the system. And I agree with you because, look, again, this is uh, all candid stuff, so I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat any of this. So that old system, while it sounds so nice, had abuses too.
0: Oh, for you know, sure, for right? Sure. So,
1: so there were doctors and healthcare professionals do maybe doing, you know, when you're getting paid for everything you do, no, no questions asked.
0: You know, exactly. which is
1: which was back in you know 80s and whatever. You know, you could see how human nature being what it is that might potentially lead to, in certain cases, I'm I'm using all the qualifiers, uh, you know, extra stuff being done that potentially could have been avoided. And so this whole idea of why managed care came into play is to address that, to to, to address the excesses of having uh, just like, okay, you do something, you get paid. And that's a good thing because obviously at the end of the day we want quality. We want, we want the patients to get the right thing. You know, we want the we we need to be looking out for the patients. So I I think the excesses were not good, and yeah. I'm not proud right. of it. Uh, and and I'm glad it was addressed. But you know,
0: we definitely need is, oversight, right? We need right. some elements of oversight. But
1: right. there's
0: got to be balance. You know, Kim, what are your thoughts? You know, when,
2: when we think about the 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 shifting environments and the landscape of of medicine and reimbursement, um, we also think about the workforce who is kind of shouldering all of this on their backs, right? Mm-hmm. And they have been involved in the fifties, and the sixties, and the seventies, and eighties, nineties, and the two thousands, and they have had to. Uh, Really, kind of adjust their abilities and their skills to to every time these these uh, you know changes happened in the healthcare system, right? Uh, and the public health emergency absolutely strained all of that, right? It, it just really just it, it strained it all. Uh, and now I think where we are is we have a workforce who, a workforce who not only are they exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them feel underappreciated, maybe even underpaid because reimbursements Mm -hmm. are are where they are. Um, So it's also, I I think, a great opportunity for healthcare leaders and physicians alike to really think about how we shift the culture, Um, whether it's the culture of our individual organizations, whether it's advocacy to, uh, you know, to 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 advocate towards um, changing regulations, um, maybe on the state level and the national level, uh, because I, I do think that as healthcare leaders and and as physicians, um, we have a lot of power, right? We we understand um, the needs of a community um, that m- maybe policymakers don't quite get, um, so we can advocate on their behalf. We can advocate on. The behalf of our individual um, businesses, because technically, you know, <laughs> medical facilities are businesses, and we can also advocate on behalf of our workforce. Um, uh, you know, not only uh, you know from a, a legislative perspective, but but then also making sure that we're bringing in the resources that our teams need. Right, so bringing in technology, bringing in um, service enhancers when they're medically appropriate, bringing in uh, training yeah, and, and education serotonin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a challenging place that we're, we're at in the industry right now. And um, I think we, to your point, Kim, we have to remain positive, right? We have to find what are those things that we can do to affect positive change, um, you know, so Dr. Baktari, what are, in terms of like the things we can do to impact and affect positive change in the industry overall? Because I do genuinely think that for those of us in the industry, um, we're all kind of, you know, linked arm in arm. We want to see the industry continue to improve mm-hmm. and improve and improve. What do you think are some things we can do to achieve that?
1: Uh, you know, I, I've come full circle on that. I mean, I've just—I've uh, my position has evolved on that. Uh, you know, I—I um, I just think at the end of the day, what I have seen now in the private sector, you know, starting a company, you just have to have people have skin in the game, and uh, I think you know, if there was a model where the patients would potentially. Uh feel the consequences of pr- for example, just being aware of their own health care, making sure you know they're not being prescribed too many procedures they don't need, medications. And, and then the flip side is to monitor the doctors and to make sure, you know, from a managed care perspective, that they're not doing it to just rein in costs. But I think, I think the patients also, if there's a way to get them dialed in to understand that. You know, if you went to see one doctor and had a blood test and then a week later you went to see another and he ordered blood tests, I mean, you know, could it be possible that it's the same blood test? I mean, or, or you know, you had a, a, a MRI somewhere else and now it's a year later. You know, the whole idea to get involved in your healthcare, not only just for financial, but from quality. You know, uh, you know, I always tell people if you bring the old MRI to your new doctor, you know, and that comparison actually adds information. So I think how do we get patients more engaged and involved? And also, you know continue to oversight doctors to make sure that, you know, not that we're getting the quality the patients deserve, uh, and we're getting the appropriate utilization.
2: Wow, you know, I have to tell you, that is a wonderful place to a bow on this great conversation, um, putting the power back in the patient's hands, um, making sure that we are engaging with them. We're educating our patients. Um, and guess what? Our patients could also be our workforce, right? So we're, as as we continue to educate our workforce, they become more informed patients, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really a cyclical effect, um, making sure that we're empowering our patients, educating them, mm. making sure that they're aware of, um, you know, their treatment plans, their financial responsibilities, their options, mm. um, avoiding white coat syndrome by mm. making sure that our patients feel comfortable in the environments that we're in. Wow, that is wonderful advice, Dr. Mm. Bektari. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been an absolute pleasure um, spending some time with you. You know, before we let you go. Um, we would love to 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 maybe impart some of your wisdom um in in your career uh you know something that you've been really successful at in in your journey uh in healthcare that you might want to share with with our audience to inspire them to be their their best selves
1: yeah i think you know um i think when 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 people interact with the healthcare system, like choosing a doctor, or having an interaction with the doctor, you know, I think it's really important to seek out people who uh, really uh, look at you as an individual, understand you. I know we talked about like back in the 70s, you know, people, doctors used to make house calls and they knew your family and they knew everything about you, and I know that doesn't it can't exist anymore. But still, to reach to develop a relationship with a healthcare provider, whether it's a doctor, nurse practitioner, or a PA, and really evolve that relationship and seek out those opportunities, because uh, one of the pitfalls of just going to urgent care every time and randomly seeing a doctor or a PA here and there, I think you lose some of the magic that came with. A healthcare provider understanding you, understanding what makes you nervous, what ma- what stresses you out, and what keeps you up at night. And those are not the conversations you're going to have if you're just seeing a new provider every week. And I think, th- I'll give you one stat that um, I, t- I used to tell my residents and interns, you know, when I was uh, teaching. Uh, there's a statistic that almost one-third of all primary care visits are about reassurance. One third. That means one out of three people are just coming to see you. So you can say, nah, that's nothing. Get out of here. That's don't worry about that. That's nothing. You know, I mean, the gist of it. it actually, I think there was a Seinfeld episode where, you know, George goes to see a dermatologist and the guy, you know, doesn't say that and says, Well, let's do it. But and he's like, Well, you should, you know, I think there's this feeling that when a third, one third of the time you go see a doctor, I don't know, maybe something's stressing you out. Maybe, you know, something at home is not right. So you, ha- have her wind up in a doctor's office. And the doctor needs to acknowledge that and say, oh, um, really? I mean, Susie's uh, or Bill's complaints all over the place doesn't fit any particular, you know, diagnosis. I wonder what else is going on. And you know, should we ask? You know, should we open up that can of worm, or should I just move on to my next patient? So I think, I think physicians need to understand. Literally, one third of all primary care visits, are, they just want reassurance that they're not dying of cancer, that the, you know this is not. They're not having a heart attack and whatever. And so, you know, of course, sometimes we need to investigate it. But they're there because some other reason brought them into that office. And they think it's a healthcare reason, but sometimes it's not. And so we need, yeah.
0: Oh, I I was going to say to your point, I think that, that, that circles right back around to giving physicians more time, the greater reimbursement, the more time that they, they have in the room to recognize that, right. Because you're going to see that in, in body language and what the patient is, is saying, if you have the time to ascertain okay, they just need to be reassured, they just need to feel heard, they just need me to sit and look them in the eyes and tell them that they're okay for a second. Um, yeah. that's hard to assess when you're you know seeing 30, 40 patients a day running around like you know crazy trying to, to meet all the metrics.
1: Um, and, and to add to what you just said, uh, I I, um, on my podcast last year, I, did, I reviewed a study about what percent of the time, even when the doctor or healthcare provider is in the room. Are they talking to the patient or staring at their EMR? So it's like 70, 80% of the time, they're actually staring at the computer. So even with the lot of time that we think should be more, such a high percentage of that visit is, you know, b- because of some of the things they have to do, whatever. But so it's even doubly challenging.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah you know, this is this has been a great conversation, um, Dr. Bhaktari. again, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been uh, a, a great uh, insight into ways that we can improve our patients' experience um, in the the, the healthcare um, continuum. So Rev divers, until we meet again next time, keep diving into those rev cycles.